I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Taisei Fu. And I'm very pleased to report the Canadians did not go into their bye week, which they have for some reason, on a three-game losing streak. But it wasn't the most inspiring of victories yesterday, because I think they played pretty poorly until the third period um, against Toronto. And before that, they had two pretty ugly losses, including another one in which they were wearing their reverse retro jerseys. And I want to start by shouting you out, Taisei Fu, because as soon as I saw that they were wearing their reverse retros again, after you had said they never should, I said something like big W incoming, something in that vein. And you said they're about to get shut out by Mike Smith. And you were absolutely on the nose, 100% correct. A 3 nothing loss to the Oilers with Mike Smith in net. Yeah, that's a pretty ugly one. Uh, certainly a prediction that I wouldn't like to have come true. I certainly prefer the 100% chance of the playoffs. But uh, yeah, it was freaking ugly, man. Like 3 nothing to the Oilers. Uh, and it wasn't like it was like McDavid and Drysdale taking over the game. It was just like they were like the worst team uh, on the ice. And yeah, you get fucking shut out by Mike Smith. It seems like the offense has kind of dried up over the last like what four or five games, uh, and uh, that's a bit of a concern. But but yeah, like burn those reverse retros. As uh, as I've argued after even just one game, you know they're cursed. So uh, it's time to retire that. If you needed further proof, the second game was you got shut out by Mike Smith of all goalies in the world. That is the most preeminent side I've ever seen in my life, uh, that you should ditch a jersey. Now, uh, otherwise, yeah, last night was kind of ugly, wasn't it? Like, the Leafs were the better team. They were the better team on Wednesday, first of all. Just another ugly loss. But the Habs couldn't really get anything going. The Leafs were the better team throughout. Uh, like, like they completely shut down the Habs' offense, basically. Uh, and... Your game is super high again, by the way. Okay, I'll turn that down. Um, okay, thank but you. yeah, and it looked like more of the same. For, like, the first two periods. And then, for some reason, you know, I don't know what it was. Like, did the Leafs just decide to, like, shut it down uh, in that third period? Because they looked like they were completely sleeping. Uh, and they, they let the Habs climb back in the game. And it, it really, like, you, you texted me, like, I fully did not expect the Habs to tie it up, let alone win it, right? Uh, yep. And it really did feel like one of those games. And I think that's a good sign, right? Uh, and, and, like, years past, you go down. It seems like you can't generate any offense, especially against the Leafs. And then the game's over. You lose like one nothing, two one, whatnot. But uh, I thought it was pretty good. Like I think it's a it's a sign of some change, some pro- positive evolution amid this little skid that they were able to turn around. This is a huge game, right? Last night mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about a seven point lead for the Leafs heading into the bye, or a three point lead for the Leafs heading into the bye. And uh, here we are. They won the game in regulation. So you know, even if it was an ugly loss, standings wise, it was uh, very very important. Yeah, actually, I hadn't thought of it that way, really, because I was thinking more like hmm, maybe the fact that they did tie the game and it was such a big surprise to me as a bad sign. I, I Ideally, I would like to expect them to be able to tie the game, but that is probably a, a good point that this has happened many, many times in years past where the Canadians, you know, play poorly and can't score. And I'm like, they're not going to score. And then they don't. And the fact that they subverted my expectations is, is a good thing uh, with the help of, of course, uh, new guy, Tyler Toffoli, who scored his 10th goal of the season yesterday. And they managed to do it without a uh, peculiar healthy scratch, Thomas Tatar. Uh, we've talked a couple times how, about how deep this team is, especially on the wings. Uh, and with Armia back and all their wingers healthy now, and Claude Julien seems to really like Corey Perry, there's kind of this rotation, or there was this rotation at the bottom of the lineup. Byron was out for a game, who's on waivers. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Corey Perry was out for a game. And then Thomas Tatar. Uh, top liner for the majority of his run with Montreal uh, was a healthy scratch yesterday uh, in a contract year, no less. But what was your impression of that decision? Yeah, it kind of felt like it came out of the blue, no? 
Um, like I totally did not see it coming. I didn't even realize until the game had started that he like wasn't playing at all. Toffoli moved up to that line. And yeah, I just, I mean, I think it's, and it's something that we see, like we'll get at the Byron, I guess, later uh, with him on waivers. But the halves are just so deep at wing that, you know, it's going to leave some people unhappy inevitably at every game, right? Uh, you have like 13 or just on the wings, you have like nine, 10 dudes who absolutely could play on the Habs on the NHL team. Uh, and so inevitably we're going to get one or two guys. So they're going to be competing for spots. I think it's a good thing, depth, good thing depth-wise. You know, you got a guy who's playing maybe not so great. Maybe Cole Julian has been disappointed with how Tatar's been playing. And so you have the ability to, depth, to bench him, kind of get him going. Uh, and without sacrificing, you know, your and like the Habs needed a spark, right? Uh, they were on that little skid. Mm-hmm. So, and you don't sacrifice the entire team's offense. Uh, and I think... You know, in one way, I think it's a good thing. Like, it just shows how deep this team is. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, it's uh, certainly peculiar. You know, a free agent, like, yeah. Like, moving on forward to the future. Like, even, like, Philip Dano, uh, Like, he has not been playing well at all, right? And that's different because he's a center. But, uh, you know, all these outgoing free agents, I don't think many of them are going to stick around in Montreal. Not just because of cap applications. But I think this whole rotating thing, even if it's good for depth, I don't think it keeps them very happy because uh, they get their playing time cut. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, with, with Tatar, I kind of, I think it's less likely he sticks around, not just because he was healthy scratch for one game, but also because of all this winger depth and because, you know, Cole Caulfield knocking on the door might even play later on this season, which is something to look forward to. Dano, I think it's actually more likely that he's kind of underachieving, that he sticks around, maybe on like a one-year uh, relatively cheap contract. I know he t- turned down like a 5 million AAV or something, but the teams are still going to be kind of, you know, really tied up against the cap this year because uh, they still, you know, they didn't plan for it to stay flat for three years and they're still going to be feeling those implications. So I think this offseason will be similar to this past offseason in terms of like relatively high-end free agents like Philip Dano maybe having to take a little less than they otherwise would have gotten. So I think that might help him stick around in Montreal on like a kind of a show-me contract maybe, try to have a bounce-back year. Uh, I don't really see the same thing happening for Thomas Tatar. But, like, okay, speaking of these games, I was ready heading into the third period of last night to get really upset on this podcast. And I tend, I, I don't think I tend to overreact to things, really, uh, if I do say so myself. Uh, but the thing with Montreal is that I was thinking yesterday, we have seen this this script before, a hot start to the season, then they kind of get cold. And then everyone says, oh, it's just a couple games. They'll work it out. And then they never do. And they never get better. And I was ready to kind of really dig into them for that. And I know one period is a very small sample size. Uh, but heading into this, these, these six days off, the fact that they were kind of able to snap themselves out of it, uh, even though it did kind of take the Leafs having a pretty bad period, they were able to snap themselves out of it, uh, score two goals, and come back from down heading into the third to a regulation win is a really good sign that maybe this team actually is kind of built a little bit differently than the past ones. Yeah, and I think this bye week comes at, like, the perfect time, right, for this team. You're coming off the skid. Uh, you, end the, you, end the, you end with a nice little win there, a very important win against the, you know, the division leaders right now. But uh, I, think, I think the teams in the North have kind of figured them out, except maybe Vancouver. Vancouver seems like they'll never yeah. figure out how the, the Habs offense works. But it seems like recently, you know, even teams like, you know, freaking Edmonton and, like, Ottawa, they lost to Ottawa, right? It's like they've kind of shut down on the Habs counterattack. Right. And that yeah. was where the Habs were really excelling, where they were really punching, scoring a whole bunch of goals there, uh, you know, with speedy guys like, you know, so the surprisingly fast Anderson and obviously to Foley. 
Um, so I think the, ha- the, 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 the opponents have kind of clamped down on that. I think the halves have noticed that uh, now that they've been on a bit of a skid. And I think the six days comes as a, as a good time to maybe rest a bit, but also maybe come back with a, a few more tricks in the bag. Kind of a bit, re- maybe reinvent, not completely reinvent, but like, yeah, add some more tricks to the bag. You know, maybe a bit of reinvention to the offense because, yeah, it really feels like the offense has really slowed down to a grind recently. And so, yeah, I really think this buy comes at a good time. Yeah. Speaking of the Oilers, did you see what Dreisaitl said about um, like the Leafs and the Habs? He said something like, uh, oh, the Leafs and uh, the Habs, everyone's saying that they're the best two teams in the division, but we beat both of them. So what does that say about us? And all the Oilers, <laughs> and all the Oilers fans were like, yeah, spitting facts, Leon. But he failed to mention that the Oilers actually do have a losing record against both both those teams. Um <laughs> which is not a surprise. And I'll, that that's like that's like second grade logic of how standings work is like <laughs> yeah, they're in first but we beat them so we should be in first. Like that you know that, that isn't how this works, Leon. Sometimes oh, teams on. beat teams that are better than them. <laughs> wow, just truly incredibly dog shit logic there. But uh, you know, whatever it takes to get your fucking blood pumping, I guess. But uh yeah, uh the the whole uh we beat the te- you know, we beat the best team in the division once. When we play them, like, we've played them three times, four times already. So we're better than them. I don't think that totally checks out. I mean, are we saying are we saying the Ottawa Senators are the best team in the... Or the second best team after the Oilers, I guess, since they beat the Habs and the Leafs? Um, well, the Senators, well, the Senators beat the Habs and the Leafs, too. So they're also the best team in the division. That's how this works. Oh, they're, they're all tied for the best. Um, yeah, except so... Montreal and Toronto because they lost to Ottawa and Edmonton. So There we go. So, uh, okay, we figured out Leon's then. Cleared up. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, yeah, back to, back to Dino for a second. Like, okay. I actually disagree. I think, I don't think he's taking that take me, like, that's the show me deal. Like, I think you're underrating his market because, like, you know, I think he's pretty rated highly around the league. And, like, this guy is, like, you know, he's got some, some selfie considerations over the past couple of years. And I don't think he's happy here in Montreal, man. Like, I think the contract negotiations are taking his toll on him. And I, I think if you don't, if he doesn't sign, if he doesn't resign, um, like, like the, if he, like, doesn't come to terms with, like, taking a big deal. Like the one that they offered him earlier in the season, which I don't even think is there anymore, probably given his recent play. Yeah. Um, like if he's taking a show me deal, I'm not taking it to Montreal. Uh, if I'm full of the no, I'm going elsewhere. Find me a better, like a good team that would like where I'm one C, and you know, go in there for a year and see what I like. I like I think the the one year show me deal in Montreal. I don't think that's particularly realistic, and I think the market's gonna be there for a guy like Philip Dano. I think. Uh, I think teams really like a guy like that, like you know, just like a selkie, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's back. I really don't at this point in the season. I think uh, like him and Tatar. I think I'm giving him like ten percent each. That's will be back in Montreal next season. I could definitely see a guy like Dano do making the mistake that a lot of players have made, uh, especially kind of last summer, like uh, like Mike Hoffman, for example, of uh, really kind of overestim- overestimating your own value. And, you know, we already saw him turn out down a long-term expensive contract with Montreal. And if he does that again with other teams, they'll look elsewhere. And then there's going to be nowhere else for him to go. And he's going to pretty much have no choice to take a shorter, cheaper contract. I could see that happening unless he really, he says, I want to sign early. I'll sign with any team that that gives me, I don't know, a certain AAV or a certain dollar amount. But if he says, I'm not taking anything less than uh, 5 million AAV for like four or five years, then I don't think he's going to get it. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not saying he's getting the fat contract. I'm saying there's a likelihood that he gets offered. But I think if he doesn't get it, he's waiting out. He doesn't have a contract deep into free agency. I don't think he's coming back to Montreal is what I'm saying. Like, I really don't see that happening. I think he's done with the team. 
because of the ice time, right? He's seen two guys jump in the death chart. So, you know, he, he could totally go on a one-year, maybe like a bargain contract, but I really don't see that in Montreal. If I'm Philip Dano and I'm trying to like secure the bag in the future, I don't see it happening this offseason. Um, I'm going somewhere where they can tell me, you know, you're, you're our number one center because we have a problem there. You know, like, I don't know, yeah, just off the top of my head, like fucking Columbus, right? You know, like, um, like I don't know how cap strapped, like what's their situation next season for the cap. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm Philip Dano and I've got like a, a bargain offer from Montreal coming in, I got a bargain offer from Columbus often. Uh, I'm going to Columbus, you know, I, even if it's just for a year, right? Uh, yeah. Because, you know, yeah. Philip Dano, okay, he's, he's not the number three on the Canadians yet right now. Uh, if he did sign a, a contract that was more than like one year, you would really hope that by the end he's the number three, and that Kakanyemi would have finally passed him on the depth chart. But like Philip, you need to recognize Philip Dano because I'm talking to him now. That if you're the number one center on any team, your team is probably not going to go on any deep playoff runs. All right, you're probably best suited as uh, a number two or a really really good number three on a Stanley Cup contending team. So if his if his main priority is ice time, knock yourself out, go sign with the Blue Jackets or the Senators or something, and play 20 minutes a game. But don't be surprised when you miss the playoffs with yourself as the number one center. Yeah, I think he's worried about the ice time. I think like I don't blame him, but I think he's worried about like trying to get as much money as possible. And I think good for you. But uh, you know, you want to stick around with the Habs. There, he's made like quite a fuss like this season. Like, well, maybe not him like intentionally, but like it's become a bit of a narrative, right, with the whole Philip Deneau thing. So, you know, I think I think he's chasing the ice time a bit. And like, sure, good luck to him. Um, moving on to uh, yeah, something that we've been hinting at. It broke like news broke like what like twenty Hour minutes ago. ago. Yeah, okay, well, it was closer to uh, twelve, almost an hour. Okay, all right. So uh, yeah, some surprising news for the Habs on wa- uh, on the waiver wire. So Paul Byron who uh, I, I believe he's an assistant captain, and he was like one of the top scorers, if not the top scorer last season for the Habs. Uh, he's on waivers now, and he's on the tax squad, and the assumption is that this is for cap reasons, right? Um, because yeah. they got the bye week coming up, and so you save a bunch of money by, well, not a bunch of money, but some money by sending him to the taxi squad. And yeah, I guess they, I guess they expect that nobody's going to claim him and his, his contract that's still got like, what, two, three years left on uh, like three and a half million dollars. So that's uh, a bit uh, of a yeah. surprise, though. All right. First of all, uh, Paul Byron was not one of the top scorers on Montreal last year. Uh, he had oh, like 10 okay. points. I lied. Uh, 10 bad. points in 29 games. He was injured for a long stretch. Uh, I'm not sure what you were thinking of, but Paul Byron. Uh, yeah. Years ago. I don't remember. Um, yeah. Like the 17-18 the season when they were very bad he, and he had like 20 goals. It was like, wow, look at him go. Amazing. This year, he hasn't scored at all. He has only three assists in 14 games. It's been a pretty underwhelming start for Paul Byron, uh, at least in terms of production. He has been playing on the fourth line, though. And yeah, he has $3.4 million on his contract for this year, plus two more, which is definitely an overpayment, especially for someone who's playing on your fourth line, even if he is an alternate captain. Um, But Montreal isn't hoping to lose him on waivers, and they're not expecting to lose him on waivers. This is a cap move. They They do this between games also. Uh, with players on two-way contracts, Suzuki, uh, Jake Evans, uh, Kakanyemi, Romanov. They'll put them down on the taxi squad for a day because how the salary cap works is it's like calculated daily and you accumulate towards your total at the end of the year. So that does save a little bit of cash when, or a little bit of cap space, I guess. Well, and also cash when you put a player on a two-way contract onto the taxi squad for a day. 
And Paul Byron, with his $3.4 million cap it, if you get him off of the roster and onto the taxi squad for six days, which they're trying to do, then that saves a lot of cap space. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how much, but might even clear up enough room to make like a low-end deadline acquisition, for example. So this could definitely be a help to the Canadians' cap situation for this season. Um, And so in that sense, I think it's a good idea, especially because I don't see anyone... Uh, really claiming Paul Byron. Uh, we, we see how, how close all these teams are to the cap and the fact that Paul Byron does have a little bit of term left on his contract. I'm looking at these teams that are have, that have the most cap space, LA, Ottawa, Detroit, New Jersey, the Rangers. I don't see anyone really biting on Paul Byron. The only ones I could kind of see out of those lists are Ottawa because you just never know what kind of uh, mediocre veteran players they're going to love. So maybe they, they're just absolutely enamored with Paul Byron. And the Devils um, kind of have, you know, well, besides all their COVID troubles, they don't have such a deep group of forwards. So I could see either one of them maybe taking a run at Paul Byron, but I wouldn't bet on it. No, I me mean neither. But uh, like, yeah, like maybe they like the freaking, what do they call it? The veteran leadership that Paul Byron brings as a guy who wears the A. But uh, like, even if they do claim him, like it takes a hit for the uh, the current situation, right? Um, you know, you lose a bit of depth there on the fourth line, but like, first of all, the Habs don't expect them to get claimed. And second of all, if they do, like, it's no freaking big deal. Uh, Paul Byron, as you said, bit of a drop off last couple seasons, and frankly, he's overpaid. So if a team takes small waivers, I wouldn't even maybe consider it as like a favor in terms of like like two years down the road when this guy's a complete anchor at three and a half million dollars. So you know, I think it's a win-win. You either have some depth. You show up, you save some cap space, and Paul Byron's still on your team, and now he's like waivers exempt for the next thirty days, or uh, you spare, you like you free up like three and a half million dollars of space for a guy who was playing on your fourth line. So, uh, you know, like either way, it's it's not it's not much of a bad situation for the Habs. I think I call it a win-win. Yeah, I don't know if losing Byron on waivers is quite a win. It's not a disaster at all, uh, as you say. You know, clearing up up uh, the cap space for the next two years and also the fact that we have talked about how deep their wingers are so uh they can afford to lose someone like paul byron but you know kind of would be a little bit sad if after you know they claim him on waivers way back in 2015 and all of a sudden he breaks onto the scene he's this great player that everyone loves and you know after all this time everyone parading around we got the best waiver pickup of all time then they lose them on waivers like five and a half years later. That would be kind of, you know, a, a, a sad ending to, to the great tale of Paul Byron with Montreal. But, I mean, optics aside, it wouldn't be too much of a disaster. No, it wouldn't. Okay, so you have anything else to uh, talk about on the Habs? before We might, we have a lot of NHL news, too. To talk about. Uh, yeah, we can, we can leave the Habs there for now. Uh, one, one final thing. Um, you know who I would have preferred that they put on waivers instead of Paul Byron, who's actually even a little bit more expensive? Joel Edmondson. Joel Edmondson. <laughs> would have been nice. It would have been nice. Um, yeah, would have been even better if somebody one. claimed him. All right, good. Well, you, you want to go to Pittsburgh? Or they got some, yes, uh, let's go to Pittsburgh. Some... New GM and new president of hockey operations. Ron Hextall is the new GM. Uh, I think I had actually pointed him out as probably the favorite. <laughs> Because he had done a pretty good job with the Flyers, especially restocking the prospect pool. And Pittsburgh doesn't really have any prospects. Uh, they have a couple, but you know, you get the idea. So Ron Hextall can probably help out with that. And a new president of hockey operations, Brian Burke. Former Sportsnet employee, Brian Burke. 
uh, who was also quoted, I think, back in November, saying something along the lines of, Pittsburgh is going to want to keep on being a contender as long as they have Crosby and Malkin, but I personally don't think that their window is still open, uh, which is very interesting. Very interesting that Brian Burke would have said that three months ago. Maybe he's changed his mind. I would guess that they that he has because I don't think the Penguins would want to hire someone who's like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a rebuild right now. So so I'm very interested to see how Brian Burke is gonna do there. That was also a surprise because I think he had said things before that like, yeah, I don't really feel like going back to work with an NHL team. I like being a broadcaster. I like working at Sportsnet. And there he went back against his word, and now he works for the Penguins. Yeah, it's I think it's so fun. Uh, you know, Brian Burke, I think we started to see him like uh most nights uh as part of the panel, right? And uh yeah, it was uh it was all right. And it's pretty jokes to see him back in Pittsburgh and I think the quotes are uh, like from a few months back. I think it's I think it's very interesting because like at I think at that point he's actually like is expressing his point of view, his opinion on the state of the franchise. And now that he's in that president role, you know, even if they do agree, like if he's you know, come to an agreement with Mario, you know, we're going to try to make the playoffs and whatnot. I think those, uh, those comments, you know, maybe hint at the fact that, you know, sure right now, maybe in the short term, you know, you go forward and you try to make the playoffs, you try to make a push, uh, for a cup, another, a last one with Sid and Gino. But like, I think he's closer than one might think to like pressing the rebuild button at this point. Right. Uh, and if he sees that things are kind of falling to shit, I think he's like pulling the shoot. I think he's going full rebuild mode. I think he's got the GM for that, as you said. You know, Hexlaw had a good good track record in Philly. Like really, like the only thing that got him fired was what he wanted to like keep Carter Hart uh, for like another year down in like the minors or something. Um, so like you know that's like a not a fatal sin or anything like that, fatal flop. So um, I think I think it's a couple of good hires, and I think it's uh, I think it's a good hire for like the like if we're trying to rebuild. I think Burke and Hextel. Uh, I think they make a good front office for Pittsburgh moving into the future uh, because it's coming, right? Their window, if it, has al- if it hasn't already slammed shut, is pretty damn near that. And I think it's a, I think it's a good duo if you're gearing yourself up for a nice long rebuild. Yeah, I think maybe even if they do want to take another run at the Stanley Cup, like, I don't think this team is beyond repair. Uh, I mean, obviously having Crosby and Malkin there is a big help. But if Ron Hextall has the wherewithal to be like, yeah, Michael Matheson, uh, maybe we don't need to put you in the lineup all the time. Uh, and actually, you know, maybe Kasperi Kapanen, you know, I think he's actually been doing all right next to Evgeny Malkin, uh, not Crosby. Seems like everyone they get to play with Crosby ends up playing with Malkin. Uh, but if they, if Ron Hextall, you know, targets the right players, probably it'll be hard to acquire people in the middle of this season. But maybe like if he has a really good offseason next year and if Tristan Jari can, you know, Discover, rediscover his game a little bit, then a Pittsburgh bounce back isn't out of the question, I don't think. It was just, as we said many, many times, Jim Rutherford just made dumb move after dumb move after dumb move for no discernible reason. And that's the reason the Penguins were kind of on that downward trend. But I don't think it's impossible Ron Hextall kind of, you know, gets them going upward again for one final push. Yeah, maybe. But I think I think the path is quite limited. I mean, in terms of cap space, uh, they don't have much at all, right? They have none. Uh, and like you have a few guys coming off like your freaking Cody CCs, but, but there's nobody big coming off. So like, you're not signing anybody huge for sure. Right. And well, you got a second round pick in the first four rounds. That's it. So if you're like trading draft picks, you're trading from 2022. And at that point, if you know, this team is ending its window, is that what you really want to do? Right. You're, you want to trade your 2022 picks? I don't think so. Um, 
Yeah, but yeah, I think what it comes down to is like this season for this season they need to fucking fix the goaltending, right? Uh, and I think their their hands are tied in terms of like what roster moves they can do. But uh, what it comes down to it, Tristan Jari has been complete horseshit, and you know Casey DeSmith hasn't been much better either. So uh, yeah, I think it's that. I think the fucking goaltending sucks, and the the defense in front of them kind of sucks too because you know it's Cody it's Cody CC and uh, freaking Mike Matheson out there. So mm-hmm. you know, I think I think you know, uh, there's a revelation on offense. Yeah. It has been a revelation on defense to the Penguins. P.O.J. Yeah, we already knew John Marino was great. Pierre Olivier Joseph, who I had full faith in in the 2017 draft, has finally broken to the NHL. He's got five points in eight games, and by all accounts, he's been fantastic for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, if I do say so myself, he is the uh, sole person providing hope uh, to Penguins <laughs> fans. Might be a bit of a stretch, but I'm a big Pierre Olivier Joseph fan. I'm glad to see he's doing yeah. so well. Yeah, he's been. Uh, I think it's the second week in a row you've given, uh, you've dedicated a shout out to uh, our boy POJ. So uh, yeah, way to go, POJ. Very good, very good. Yeah, he's he looked fantastic out there. Uh, both eye test, so to speak, and uh, analytically, a plus for uh, our homie Pierre Olivier Joseph. Okay, so yeah, that's that's the situation in Pittsburgh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of looking forward. I hope I hope they let Brian Burke talk to the media still a lot. Oh, and kind yeah. of. And kind of like, you know, defend any transactions the Penguins make, talk talk about them. Because I'm really interested to see, because uh, he did some, some really, he made some really smart trades when he was with Toronto as GM. Uh, he has a decent track record. Uh, but I think what, what really sunk him was kind of similar to Jim Benning, actually. Uh, some terror. Oh, no, wait, no, sorry. I'm mixing up him and Dave Nonis. I don't actually remember. What was it that actually got Brian Burke fired? I don't, he just kind of made good deals on paper for the most part. But just they just didn't have enough talent to get it done. I think it was like in 2012 or so, uh, he was fired after Toronto had like a really hot start and then kind of uh, fell off in the 11-12 season. Then they brought in Dave Nonis and he just signed, uh, like brought in Dave Boland and David Clarks and it was a total nightmare. Yeah, something like that, right? I think it's just like he couldn't get the, like he made a bunch of nice deals. I think that's like Brian Burke's specialty, right? Uh, he makes these flashy deals that actually like work out for him. Um, but what I can, I think it, it was his, uh, who was this team building aspect? Like he was good at the training stuff, but I think team building, you know, drafting, developing. I think that was one of his weaknesses. One it was in Toronto, and I, yes. uh, and well, yeah, that's what it was, right? Tyler the team Bay. wasn't fucking good enough, huh? Yeah, drafting uh, Tyler Bay, he, when he traded up for. I think that was this one of my favorite trade ups in history. The draft he traded pick thirty and thirty nine to Anaheim for twenty two. Took Tyler mm-hmm. Biggs, and Anaheim ended up with Ricard Raquel and John Gibson. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one hell of a trade too, right there. So. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah. But yeah. Like I think they, from an entertaining like perspective, I think it's fantastic, right? Like uh, Burke, he's familiar with the media, the media thing. Uh, and he gives good good quotes. He makes the flashy transactions. He's certainly not scared to pull the trigger. So from like uh, from a perspective of a of a fan who like you know, uh, I'm pretty neutral on Pittsburgh. Uh, in any like in a, in any given season, in any given season, uh, I think it's gonna be lots of fun. I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's entertainment positive. Brian Brooks in a in a big role in the NHL. Yeah. Um. So moving on, uh, everyone is of course very worried and rightfully so about COVID nineteen and all the positive tests and games that have been postponed. But there's one team that wants to reassure you that everything will be okay because the Dallas Stars, no matter what happens, will never ever ever stop singing the Star Spangled Banner at their games because everyone was wondering, weren't you? Yeah, I was wondering. Are the Dallas Stars going to play the Star Spangled Banner before their games? We need to know. And they said, fear not. 
we will <laughs> play the Star Spangled Banner before our games. <sighs> okay. So, all right. I guess I'll kick this off. Um, I want to complete another dog shit statement. I mean, who, as you said, who the fuck asked, Dallas? Um, like, man, like this really shows who the hell you're pandering to, right? As an organization and really as a league. Uh, like, uh, yeah, don't worry. We'll be playing the anthem, uh, and all that nationalistic, patriotic bullshit. Um, and yeah, I think the circumstance surrounding the thing was like the Dallas Mavericks, like the yeah. NBA team hadn't been playing their anthem in their first like 11 home games. And then like the news broke, like the league was like met now, like forcing them to play the anthem at home games. Cause it was like quote unquote tradition or whatnot. Uh, oh, did that and happen? yeah, it did happen. Um, so, they forced them to play. but and, oh. yeah, they, they forced them to play. Um, I did not see so, that. Part. Uh, yeah, that was that, and then it was that day I think that the, that news broke that the Dallas Stars were like, "Yeah, if you're not everybody, it's okay. Uh, we're here. They for might you. not play the anthem. Just just come to come to our fucking games. Um, and uh, exactly, we're here for you. <laughs> it's so uh, stupid. It's so fucking dumb. Uh, and okay. uh, yeah, just another embarrassing thing for this league. All right. Okay. Um, I was. Okay, I was confused because, first of all, when I saw the Dallas Stars statement, I was like, what prompted this? Because I hadn't heard about the Dallas Mavericks thing at all. Uh, so, apparently, I guess it was, it, well, it definitely was in response to the Dallas Mavericks saying, we don't want to play our anthem anymore. The Dallas Stars said, not us, not us, fear not. But, yeah, I hadn't realized the league was forcing the Mavericks to play the, continue playing the anthem. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Wow, whatever. Yep. It seems like because we've been complaining for a while now, not us specifically, but a lot of people saying like there's no need at all to continue playing the national anthems before games. Uh, it's just like, I don't know, World War Two propaganda that's, you know, is still around for some reason. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, they and the fucking armies pay them, them, right? The the armies pay them a whole chunk of cash, right? To play the freaking anthems. Yeah. That's what it is. Right, mm-hmm. and one team makes a step in the positive direction. An NBA team says, "Yeah, not we don't want him anymore," and everyone says, "No, you must." Well, or not everyone, but the NBA says, "No, you must," and the Dallas Stars even just out of nowhere, are like, "Yeah, we agree, you must." Uh, but whatever. Um, I don't know. I feel like when, when I'm out of anything to say, I say, "But whatever," even if it isn't whatever. Like, I really hope everyone stops playing the national anthems. It's been kind of nice uh, for the Canadians games that we only have to get one of the two. Uh, shortens it a little bit but like man that's just just a big waste of time like why do i need why do i need to be watching this and listening to this song again i guess i don't i could just turn it off and do something else but that's not the point right like when the hell do i listen to the anthem aside from a sports game right like well why the sports game it's so fucking random well yeah you know why the sports game because they get a bad fucking check anyways um okay all right so that's that's uh the the dallas clownery that we got there uh you hinted at covid you know uh, still a calamity. Like I've lost track of all the details, but uh, you know, Vegas had like a fucking positive test in the middle of the game. So like, why the hell are you playing the game when you have like COVID tests still to be determined? That's kind of stupid. Uh, and like the Habs game was pushed back an hour this week. Uh, you know, the last three nothing for that game, right? Pulley RV. Uh, I think it was Pulley RV, right? He had a COVID positive test, and you know, good thing they I guess pushed the good- game back, isn't it? Isn't a good thing? And Pulley RV didn't play. And then we would have got all the Oilers games and all the Canadians games canceled for the next week and a half. Isn't that nice that they did the right thing and pushed the game back an hour? Take notes, everyone else. Yeah, true. Um, That's a good thing. Uh, Another spicy thing, like, because of the COVID and everything, uh, we were talking about it before we got on the air, like, uh, 
St. Louis and Arizona, they have a, a seven-game series. Uh, and I think they're on game six now. They just finished game six last night. So uh, the series is tied three to three, funny enough. So yeah, because they had, a, they had a rescheduling, right? So I think they had three on each side and then it got swapped out for now seven. So yeah, game seven. Everybody playoff hockey, tune in to fucking yep. St. Louis against Arizona. No one thought the Coyotes would be playing in a seven-game series this year, <laughs> but here we are. They somehow managed to pull it off. Crazy. Uh, speaking of clownery, uh, the Blue Jackets and Hurricanes played a game, oh, yeah. uh, I think almost a week ago at this point. And I think this might actually be the worst call in NHL history. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. I can't think of anything like they did. The they saw a, a predicament, a situation in front of them. Uh, not an easy, not a, an easy situation to deal with. But alas, they made the worst possible choice they could have uh, by committing to no call. Uh, so basically, for anyone who hasn't heard, I think what the situation was, I can't remember which team. I think it was the Hurricanes who who scored a goal. Yep. And and the Tortorella did a coach's challenge, and the call came back. Uh, it's a it's a goal. So the challenge uh, was wrong, and we give the Blue Jackets the delay of game penalty for getting the challenge wrong. Uh, but as it turns out, it was a mistake in the whatever uh, war room, and by like I don't know, was it like some intern or something who was just watching was like, oh, I think that's a goal. And, and the ref was like, okay, if you say so, and went to make the call right away without getting any sort of confirmation. Uh, when actually they saw at, at the intermission, which came very soon after the goal, because uh, there was under two minutes left in the period. Oh, wait, yeah, we definitely got that call wrong. That should not have been a goal. I think it was on an offside or something. Um, and so the refs thought, hmm, what should we do? Should we, A, uh, just accept the fact that we messed up the call, and carry on because sometimes we make mistakes or B should we say, Hmm, let's cancel the goal because we see now it was clearly wrong and move forward after we swipe that goal off the board. Uh, and even, and the blue jackets did, you know, they were on the penalty kill for a little bit, but nothing happened. And so they'll just forgive us. Or do we choose both options and keep the goal on the board but wipe off the, I don't know, last 45 seconds or so of the penalty. I like that last option. Let's, <laughs> acknowledge the, let's acknowledge the fact that we got the call wrong, but do almost nothing about it. That seems like the perfect thing. It's, I don't understand how you have a team of people trying to come up with a solution who do this for a living. And they say, yeah, let's just half-ass uh, the right call, uh, but not too much. Um, as, as a compromise it's ridiculous and it sets this this precedent that you can just take off penalties halfway through uh if you uh, it makes absolutely no sense and yeah, you can take off the no, penalty, we can't take off the fucking goal you know <laughs> yeah it, it literally you, you acknowledge you're like yeah uh it shouldn't have been a goal but it still is like what what that's so un- I don't. it makes no sense like obviously the right thing to do would have just to say like yeah oopsie we made a mistake mistakes happen sorry about that Instead of just being like midway through the game, like, yeah, so how do we kind of sort of fix our mistake, uh, but not really do anything about it? Uh, so honestly, this is, I know we complained about like headshots that have been going uncalled, poor suspensions. Uh, in the end, those are judgment calls. This is just has no defensible logic. It just doesn't track from point A to point B at all. Yeah, like, this is, <laughs> this is the most Bush League thing I've ever seen in my life uh, from like a major sports league. It's just like, okay, so like the argument was, I think Colin Campbell, who was like, he was like, uh, there's no precedent. 
There's no precedent for taking a goal off. So uh, we couldn't do that. But like, there's no fucking precedent to take the penalty off either. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? Um, so like, yeah, clearly, like this is, and then like the fucking Hurricanes won by a goal in regulation. That was it. That was the game winner, basically. Like, you know, it wasn't the game winner, but like, yeah, the Hurricanes won by a fucking goal. Um, and so you know, the Blue Jackets were pissed as hell, and like the whole, the whole like fucking story is like a contro. Like, if you look at the, you know, like exactly what happened. So. They scored the goal, right? And Columbus fucking challenges. And then they have the guy. They, they have the guy who's in the arena, whose job it is, is to basically, like, basically set up, like, kind of like a Skype call, right? Between, like, the officials and the war room. Um, and this middleman happened to be a fucking intern. And he's supposed to shut up and not say anything. But this time he was like, oh, yeah, it's a fucking good goal. Uh, and he said it twice. He said it twice. And so the officials went to see the replay. They're like, okay, okay, let's get out of here. And the funny part is, right? Like the little COVID thing that 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 kind of jumped into the story is that usually, right, the the officials hand back the headphones, right? You see, they put on these fat fucking headphones. Um, they'll hand it back to the official, and the official will put on the like the official in the penalty box, and he'll put on the headphones. But they had to they had to, had to clean the headphones because of COVID protocol. And so while the war room is yelling at them to like bring the officials back, the the dude's cleaning the headphones, right? Uh, and and so yeah. And then they realize at the end of the period, uh, it should not have been a goal. And it was like, if you look at the angle, like the the determining angle, Trocek, I think it was, is uh, pretty obviously offside. So, uh, yeah. They, they <laughs> and just the fact that they lost by a goal, right? Columbus did. It's just, yeah. uh, it's a piece of work. It's a work of art. That's what it is. Yeah, you know, I'm going to try to get a job in that war room and just kind of mess with Habs <laughs> games. Be like, right. oh yeah, that Austin Matthews goal. No, that doesn't count. Um, it, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. And the refs will be like, okay, time to clean my headphones. Let's wave the goal off. That's what I want to do. That's my new goal in life. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, me too. We're all just we're all just trying to be that intern, right? Um, <laughs> influencing these yeah. games from the war. Do you think that intern made an honest mistake, or were they just like a Hurricanes fan who just wanted the <laughs> Hurricanes to win? We'll never know. Like the statement was like, "Oh, he feels he understands what he did, and he feels terrible about it." But you know, uh, who where was the game? First of all, was it? Um, I don't know. Let me, where, let me where try to was. figure that out. But the war Let's room see. isn't where the game was, right? It's in no, Toronto. But, no, no, but the no, but the guy, the intern, is in the arena. Oh, oh, I missed that. I thought the intern was in the war room. No, no, no. He like he sets up the Skype call. That's what I'm saying. Um, from the oh, arena okay, okay. to the war room in Toronto. Uh, nationwide arena. That's in, that's in, Columbus. That's in Columbus. Okay. So this guy this guy had a beef. Guy undercover had a beef agent. Undercover agent from Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> sent to Nationwide Arena to mess with the Blue Jackets. This is like a soap opera. Yeah, this is... Great A conspiracy over here. So uh, uh, remember, that, remember that graphic the NHL tweeted out a couple years ago that was like no soap operas, just hockey, and we were like this yeah, cannot yeah, be yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> you have undercover spies from North Carolina coming to Columbus, Ohio, to mess with the games. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. I don't actually think this is what happened, but it's funny. I think that was. I think that graphic was more recently. I think it was like last year. No, like really? uh, like like it was like the return to play, and like they're like ah no soap operas. Hockey. Oh yeah. Um, oh, I think you're right. Uh, I'm looking it up now. No soap operas, just hockey. And everyone was like, "Why? Why does? Why do you assume every hockey fan hates soap operas? Like, what's wrong with soap operas? I don't know. Not that I'm a soap opera fan, but 
Let's see. Uh, I see an article. Okay, so it was it was 2019 September. So it was just last season, but it was the start of the last season. Um, so it wasn't. Oh, I see on Russian um, Machine a, a, a headline that says "Tone Deaf NHL Ad Promises No Soap Operas, Just Hockey." Uh, <laughs> the ads also <laughs> side by side. Uh, contrasting pictures show what hockey isn't: no soap operas, cooking competitions, or singing competitions. I, I can kind of understand when people are like, wow, this makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, first of all, inherent sexism is one thing they cite. All three of the targeted shows have predominantly female audiences, according to uh, Russian Machine, and they have a link to an article. So I, I suppose that's true. Um, sounds like a, yeah. It sounds like a marketing campaign that like a fucking a 12-year-old boy out of fucking like someplace in like northern Ontario who follows Barstool and listens to Spitting Tricklets every morning. That's, that's the kind of thing he says. Um Kind of sounds like they consulted him before this fucking marketing project. Um, yeah, and the fact so that it's like, this doesn't make people want to watch hockey either. Like, <laughs> right, Here's another one. It says, no singing competitions, just hockey. And the just hockey in that one is Ovechkin. And then there's a picture uh, right next to it that someone else put of Ovechkin singing, like, I guess, at a Stanley Cup celebration or something. Which is really fun. Like, wouldn't the NHL be so much more fun if the players did singing competitions? I think so. 100%. Imagine if the Habs posted like a mock American Idol with like like sixteen of their players, and they did like a, a little bracket to see who the best singer was. Sign me up. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, I think these ads kind of show like what like one of the bigger problems with hockey, right? It's like it's, a lot of it's just like a giant circle jerk, and so like uh-huh. these ads are, are not targeted towards like your average person. They're targeted towards hockey fans, and We're like watch you know, yeah, exactly. So. uh it's mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit of a throwback here today. Yeah, it's like um, we don't have yeah. fun; we just do sports. Come watch, everyone. Why you gotta Why you gotta roast by the the fucking cooking competitions, man? They're, they're pretty good sometimes. Um, yeah, you know, okay. Your I, it's not for me necessarily. I'd rather probably watch a singing competition than a cooking competition. But your point still totally stands. Like you don't have to roast other forms of entertainment to be like, oh, they have fun and goof around. Not us. Not we. We sing the Star Spangled Banner and we. <laughs> Go into the corners. Go into the yeah. Okay. Uh, whew. Okay. So, uh, Lani also got benched. If we're gonna stick on yeah. the blue jackets, he yep. apparently he was just like he was so no effort on. I I don't know if it was the same game, I, but I think it was against the Hurricanes, and Tortorella played him like barely in the third period, and you know people were saying, "Wow, I guess we're not off to such a great start here." But apparently there was also something going around that he had like mouthed off at one of the assistant coaches. And if so, then that kind of does make sense that you want to set the precedent like, wow, shouldn't do that unless it, it was something just like, you know, something tame. But if it was actually disrespectful, then it kind of makes sense that you would bench a player, especially a player who just arrived, you know, like, yeah, we don't we don't tolerate that here in, in Columbus with the Blue Jackets. But either way, it doesn't look like it's boding well for Line a so far with Columbus, even though he has scored a couple goals. And uh, yeah, the fact, the idea of him sticking around there long term or wanting to stick around there uh, past this year uh, doesn't look too promising. Yeah, exactly. Like, look, uh, yeah. So apparently, it was like it wasn't related to his play, his benching. It was like apparently like completely the verbal disrespect that he towards the course. But like, I'm convinced that like you know, I, I played some sort of uh, like I think Torts wasn't happy with his defensive play either. Um, but uh, yeah, who who could have seen this coming? Uh, anybody. Right, because like uh, you know, you as soon as you saw this trade, is fucking Patrick Laine was he gonna fit with John Tortorella's system? Obviously not. Uh, both hockey wise, 
but also personality wise, I think it was pretty obvious this wasn't a fucking fit. And here we are, like literally four games in to the season, uh, he gets freaking benched for half the game, right? Uh, and like production wise, yeah, the, the the problem with the trade wasn't the talent, right? And even talent wise, it looked like you could you could totally make the argument that Columbus won that because Line A is so did. good at scoring goals. Yeah, I just said I think they did. Okay, yeah, exactly, right? He scores a bunch of goals. He's done that in Columbus already in his, you know, short time there. Uh, but the problem is clearly, like, you know, this kind of guy doesn't want to play with Torts. And it's not just him. It's, like, literally any player with talent. So, uh, you know, who? It's just you could have seen this coming from, like, a mile away the moment this trade happened. It was part of my analysis, right? What I'm concerned about in Columbus is the personality fit with Line A. And, like, <laughs> the fact that it shows up, like, literally in, like, the fifth, fourth, game uh daddy's here just goes to prove the point and yeah if i'm patrick line and like he's not a, a ufa just yet but you know he's an rfa he's got a couple more years to go but if i'm if i'm him you know i just stick it out and then when i'm ufa why the hell would i stay there if i'm getting benched and if i'm not in good graces with the coach and if i'm not really having any fun because uh, i'm always in the doghouse uh it's just yeah you know torts is uh you know sure you can talk all you want about his his uh the effectiveness of his like actual hockey system, but frankly, it's like he's clearly driving the talent away. Uh, and this is just yet another example. I feel like Yarmulke Kalinin acquiring Line A, and before that, acquiring Max Domi, who are two really you know offensive players who aren't very good defensively, was is kind of maybe a test of John Tortorella. He was really trying to see like, all right, Torts, can you actually deal with these offensive players? Can you coach them? Can you bring out the best in them? And so far, it looks like Tortorella has failed the test. So I don't know if that's what's, what Kekline is thinking. Uh, but if it is, then Tortorella probably doesn't survive in Columbus past this season uh, because, you know, Domi hasn't scored much. Line is getting benched. And Tortorella is just kind of proving what we all thought was that, uh, yeah, you can't coach these offensive-minded players. Yeah, and his contract though, right? So they don't even need to fire him. They just need to kind of like let him walk. Um, yeah. Do they do that though? I don't know. Like, because he has made them a scrappy team. And I know hockey people really like that are you gonna get are you just gonna middle in mediocrity for the next like five years if you keep him on absolutely you will you're not making any sort of deep run with this dude but uh i don't know i think they might resign him because i think relative to the, to the talent on the roster because he's driven away the star talent mind you i'd like i think he's done a job a good job with like the, a lot of the scrubs that are on this team well not complete scrubs but you know lack of relative offensive talent i would say um mm-hmm. like i could see him coming back is this the smart move absolutely not but like, I think it's absolutely in the realm of possibility. I think it's likely that he comes back, actually. You know, I think Tortorella might work better as an assistant coach, which I think he has said in the past, like, he doesn't really feel like he wants to be an assistant coach anywhere, which is a strange mindset. But I feel like, you know, you get him working with the third and fourth liners, and you have your head coach who can, you know, help out the high-end players. It might actually work really nicely. Yeah, but, like, look, the, the I think, yeah, he's not, he's not going to be an assistant coach, though. That's not... Like, A, he doesn't want to, and B, his reputation in the league is just, uh, like, as much as you hate on the guy, as we both, like, he's just, we don't think he's good very much. Um, I think he's got a very good reputation. I think he's really rehabilitated in the last couple of years in Columbus. Um, is it deserved? I would agree. Is it completely deserved? I would say no, just because I think it's a bit of a mirage, because he can't coach offensive talent. But, uh, you know, I think, I think our perception of Tortorella, and I think the league's perception of Tortorella is very different. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but that's just the impression I get. Yeah, I probably agree with you, especially, you know, 
GMs around the league would probably, you know, they wouldn't mind hiring John Tortorella because of all the, you know, scrappy stuff that he does or whatever. Anyway, uh, so the, the Vegas Golden Knights wore very flashy helmets the other day. They are golden. Um, they're pretty much just solid golden. Uh, they are, they, they really grab your eye. They're very hard not to notice. Um, they kind of look like, you know, in the movies, those like hats aliens will put on people to control their minds. I feel like there's a specific name for them that I can't remember. Uh, yeah, it kind of looks like the thing you wear when someone's like scanning your brain or something. That's the vibe I get when I see all those golden heads sitting on the bench together with those golden helmets. Uh, they are ugly. I think is my final perspective. <laughs> they do um, look pretty horrid, don't they? Um, yeah, they just they don't they don't look particularly good. You know, they're just like uh, you know, like with the arena like uh, colors and everything. You know, like the reflections and all that. It just kind of turns it into an ugly metallic color. It's not like gold, gold. You know, it's just uh, you know, it looks kind of gimmicky while you're losing brain cells and style. Um, it's just uh, you know, it's too much. It's it's. A, yeah, it's a bit too much. It's a bit too much. You know, like, you know, give it, I, I, you know what it is? I think you give it one game, I think it's fine. I think it's like the reverse retro, you know, just like, well, the Habs reverse retro, I should say, because, you know, I, th- I say throw it in the dumpster fire after this. But, uh, you know, you give it a couple games, it's a novelty thing, you walk in a lob, you make a chunk of change because you're losing a bunch of cash. It's like, sure, man. Um, But yeah, just don't make this a regular thing, please. It's a... Uh, yeah. In terms of aesthetic, yeah. like, I always thought it was only a matter of time before the Golden Eyes tried something, you know, super flashy with, like, you know, Golden. They're in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a bit too much. Uh, maybe temper, temper it a little bit. Uh, but maybe, I don't know, a couple sparkles on your regular helmets. That'll be nice, you know. Uh, but making it all gold is uh, it's too much for me. Too much for me. Yeah, the, 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 it's, the, it's the solid gold. It's just, like, it's complete gold. And it looks a bit dumb like that, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate the effort. I'll say that. I certainly yeah. appreciate the effort, you know? Uh, I feel like we have to say that every time someone goes out of, you know, out of the expected with a uniform, like the Dallas Stars, you know, uh, neon thing, glow in the dark. Everyone was dumping on them, even though we've been we've been asking teams to, you know, try to go out of the ordinary a little bit and try new things. And every time someone does, uh, they kind of just mess up and everyone dumps on them. So I, we, I do want to applaud the effort from those Dallas jerseys uh, and from these Vegas helmets. And now, perhaps we can get into the trade that happened yesterday. Actually, two trades happened yesterday. Uh, One of them was bigger than the other. Uh, That was the one that sent Alex Galchenyuk to his sixth team in under three calendar years. Uh, Let's take a a look at what Galchenyuk has gone through. So first of all, of course, he was on the Canadians. Traded June 2018 to the Coyotes for Max Domi. Uh, Played the year with them. Then in June 2019 was traded to Pittsburgh as part of the trade that sent Phil Kessel to Arizona. Um, He played with them till I think about February, 2020 when he was traded to the Minnesota wild played with them a little bit this off season signed with the Ottawa senators played, I think eight games with them so far and then dealt to Carolina along with Cedric Paquette in exchange for Ryan Dezingle, former Ottawa Senator going back to Ottawa, uh, they are the only team he's really had any sort of sustained success with, so maybe that fit is still there. Um, I like the deal for Ottawa uh, because Paquette and Galchenyuk were two of the off-season additions they made. We were saying, hmm, are you sure those players are actually good? 
and Galchen. I feel like, you know, if you merge Galchenyuk and Paquette into one player, it's pretty good with Galchenyuk, you know, offensive capabilities and Cedric Paquette's defensive capabilities, but you can't merge players together. So just to, to uh, just, you know, one and the other, they're kind of just uh, fringe players in your lineup. And Ryan Dezingle can definitely play in the lineup. Uh, and Ottawa, you know, they have plenty of fourth liners. They don't need any more fourth liners. Uh, so you get rid of two fourth liners for one third liner. I kind of like it for Ottawa. Sure. Uh, yeah. And it's like, uh, and for early hurricanes, get a bit of cap relief. And maybe one of these dudes work out, right? And it's like all the, all three of these guys are on expiring contract. It's like, uh, yeah, I forgot Jayek. He's kind of wild, you know? Uh, he really, uh, he's, he's a boat. They call him a, you know, I see in the headlines, journeyman Alex Galchenyuk. And uh, that kind of strikes me, you know? He's just like, uh-huh. He's now a bona fide NHL journeyman. Alex no, Galchenyuk. No question. Now, he's done lots of journeying over the past little while. Yeah. For sure. That is true. And uh, how old is he? Like 25, 26? Um, 27. I okay. Want... He's 27. All right. Yeah, so, uh, just turned you know, he's not old. Years ago. Yeah. So he's, he's definitely on the younger side of being a journeyman. But, uh... You know, certainly interesting to see his name walking around, bouncing around. And yeah, I tend to agree. It's just like, uh, it's like you're doing the merge thing in this with this trade if you're Ottawa, right? You have two pretty mediocre pieces, fourth liners. You merge them, you get somebody back, uh, like uh-huh. one piece back. It's like uh, your classic two for one trade. So uh, sure, I don't know what, what other analysis there is to add. All three of these dudes are pretty, bought, like fringe-ish, expiring contract, bottom mm-hmm. six for yeah. Uh, how many teams do you think Alex Galchenyuk plays for uh, by the time his NHL career is up? How many teams will he have had on his resume? Okay, so he's at what? Six now? Yeah. Um, what are we saying by resume? Like, played a game for or was yeah. on the team on paper? Played, played at least a game for. So actually, he hasn't played with Carolina yet. And he is on waivers now. So it is definitely feasible that he never plays for Carolina. So because he only still at five right now, five teams. Okay, so you wouldn't count Carolina if he were to. If he were to uh, never play for Carolina, you would never. Count. Okay, all right. I would say like I think a good bet is nine. You know. Wow. Um. Yeah, I'm going. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say nine because. Yeah, you know. I'll say eight. I'll say eight. You know, I think it's only a matter of time he goes back to like. Well, he goes to Europe, right? Um. Uh, so yeah, I think eight's a solid bet. I think he uh, journeymans around the league a bit longer. I think some teams will will see uh, what he was literally nine years ago when he was eighteen years old. The upside, you're like, ah, sure, what the hell? I'll give him a shot. Um, and then they'll inevitably disappoint, be disappointed. They won't resign, and then he'll go to a diff- different team. Um, yeah, I think eight's a good number. I'm still taking the under on eight. I think Carolina. Is his last one? I think this is six. Whoa, that's a hot take. Yeah, dude. I think he'll get okay. into a couple games, Carolina, if they you know get a couple injuries or maybe they just want to give him a shot. Uh, but I think teams around the NHL are they're they're looking around. They look, oh, he could barely crack the lineup with the Sens like half the time. Probably not a good sign. I don't think anyone takes a flyer on him. I think he is off to Europe at the end of the season. That's my prediction. Okay, all right. So, uh, other news. There's some interesting uh, NHL news that we saw league-wide. They want to change up the draft lottery um, yeah. because I think teams have made a fuss about Ottawa. or No, no, not Ottawa. Sorry, Detroit getting shafted a bunch of times in a row now. And most recently last season when they went from best odds to fourth pick. Uh, yeah. Bit of a... Yeah, so we got some stupidity things going on. You want to get into that? 
Yeah, guess what? Uh, sorry, Detroit. Uh, sometimes you just get unlucky in a lottery. It's a lottery. Uh, so so here's what's gonna happen. Here's what's gonna happen. I don't know if it'll be this year, but soon the NHL they're gonna they're gonna rebalance the odds. Uh, to make it easier for the lower end teams to win, which, if you'll recall, it being too easy for the lower end teams to win was the exact reason, the exact reason that they changed the lottery format back in 2016 to the current system. So here's what's going to happen: they're going to change the format. Um, the auto senators are going to continue to be really bad for the next little while, and say they finish last in the league three years in a row, uh, and then win the top pick two of those three years, everyone goes tanking. Too much tanking, too much tanking. We can't have this. We got, we must do something about this. Uh, I give it four years, five maximum, before they change the system again to something that more closely resembles the system that you and I have come to love for the for the past five years. That makes it possible for a team that just barely missed the playoffs to jump into the top three. I love this current system. We've talked many, many times about why we love it so much, and sometimes teams just get unlucky. And guess what? Uh, teams are going to get unlucky no matter what draft lottery system you use. Unless, uh, until you scrap draft lotteries altogether, teams are going to get unlucky at the lottery a couple years in a row. It just happened to be the Red Wings, and it's going to happen again um, no matter what new system you do. And someone will complain about it, and if enough teams complain about it, then they'll change the system again. So I think changing the lottery is a bad idea. I think they should stick it out with what they have because it's fun. It's great for TV, great entertainment. Uh, and it's pretty fair as well. Yeah. Hey, you know what's the ironic thing? If we were in the old system that, like, quote-unquote, rewarded tanking, like, like the Detroit Red Wings would be a good argument for going to this current system, right? Like, you can't tell oh, me this sure. is not tanking. They've completely stripped their roster. This is, this is the kind of thing that the league wanted to avoid, you know, when they made this new system. But for some reason, because they've lost a few times, because literally statistics, and that's what happens, like number-wise, probability and whatnot, uh, they want to throw the whole thing out the window and go back to the old system, which A, was less entertaining, and B, like literally encouraged tanking, which is apparently the thing they don't want, except when uh, it's like, it's it's not explicitly tanking because you didn't get the first overall pick. Instead, you got like the fourth overall pick for four years straight. Um, yeah, so... The current system actually encourages tanking as well. And we talked about this when we talked about the draft lottery, that the last place team does have a big advantage. First of all, highest odds to the highest pick. And also, you can't drop lower than fourth. That's your that's your reward for finishing in last place. Uh, and if we're going to talk about not trying to reward tanking, um, that is a relatively small reward. And so, like, just the only reason we're not looking at what the Red Wings did this year or last year as tanking is because of the lottery system and because they didn't get a like a slam dunk dunk top two top two pick. If they had been guaranteed like a top two pick in the last draft, we would have all said, "Wow, they clearly tanked for it," uh, because of how bad they were. Uh, so really, that's the only reason we all have this perception. It's going to happen again, no matter what the draft lottery system is. There's going to be a really bad team who get makes themselves even worse to improve their draft position, and whether or not we perceive it perceive it as disgraceful or not. Is going to depend on the draft lottery system. So, there. That's my. Yeah, piece. I think. It, I think. I think. I think this is a form of a uh, lottery hell, so to speak, for the NHL. Uh, it's just the, the def- definition of insanity, right? You just keep, just keep going every few years to go back and forth on what is tanking. Do we want tanking? And uh, like, <laughs> how do we change the odds to go the other way? You know. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a little. Bit yeah, the, the fact. NHL, uh, yeah. 
bring back all the same things that I that I said like back in June or August whenever they did the draft lottery. Uh, well, I guess June was the first one. Was that the the whole point of this new system was that there is no way to be bad enough to guarantee yourself a top three pick is a good thing. The Red Wings can't earn Lafreniere, Byfield, or Stutzla just by sucking. The best they could do is earning at least Lucas Raymond, and that's what they did. And they knew that, and so the fact that they they were so shocked that the 50-50 coin flip came up to Lucas Raymond instead of a top three pick, and now all of a sudden we have to restructure everything. You know, here's the thing. If the Red Wings had won uh, a top three pick at uh, the draft lottery, there's no way we'd be talking about changing the system. We all knew, they all knew that this was a possibility for the Red Wings to like drop several spots uh, several years in a row. They knew that that was possible with any team to happen when they made this new system in 2016. And now that it's happened, they're all shocked and they all want to change it all over again. Yeah, it's all, it's all quite stupid. The NHL kind of seems like a, you know, like a chicken with his head cut off. It's kind of running all over the place uh, with no clear uh, goal or initiative or just anything, right? Like, What's your position on tanking, man? Because the, the Red Wings are clearly tanking. Uh, this is the tank, and now you want to reward it? Um, it's all a bit of a head scratch. Okay. Yep. Um, all right. Is that anything right. else you want to touch on the NHL this week? Uh, no, I think we can leave it there. We can leave it there for I now. Got a small thing. But I... I got a small thing I want to present. Oh, okay. Um, Go ahead. A fun thing from the CFL. I saw this in the newspaper, you know, those things. Um, and uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. So, uh, like, the, the Edmonton football team in the CFL. Okay, um, so you know their former name, uh, clearly a racial slur. So they've, uh, you know, they've taken it down. They're currently known as the Edmonton Football Team, and uh, they 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 were going through the the search for a new name, and they've gone through the first stage where they accept a bunch of you know uh, suggestions from their fans, and they've made it to the uh, the finalists, and they have they have a survey. I think it it expires today. I've already completed the survey, uh, and uh, it is quite a long survey. It's unnecessarily long, but nonetheless. Uh, it's 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 they're picking a new team and they're taking a poll for it and I just want to read some of the finalists and 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 get a, and get to know what you think about them. And, Wait, before uh, you do, there are some yeah. Before you do, uh, I remember this. Uh, it came out a couple months ago. They said, "Yeah, we're changing our name. Uh, we're going to be known now as the Edmonton Football Team or EE Football Team." And everyone asked, "What does that second E stand for?" <laughs> and, and and yeah? someone made a really funny joke. The second E stands for EE and the second E in that <laughs> also stands for EE and it goes on forever and ever like that of course <laughs> yes okay all right so, go ahead you know spoiler alert the, spoiler alert they're uh they're keeping with the EE tradition they're actually going to find something else to to replace the E all these names are E names um so here we go okay um you have the Edmonton Elk the Edmonton Evergreens Edmonton Evergolds Edmonton Evergolds Ever- what's an Evergold don't ask me. I certainly don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Edmonton Elk Hounds. So you have the Edmonton Elk and the Elk Hounds. Elk making a big experience uh, in these finalists. The Edmonton Eagles. And lastly, the Edmonton Elements. Um, All right. Thoughts? Okay. I love alliteration as much as anyone, but you can't force it. <laughs> All right. You can't force If there's nothing there, there's nothing there. You don't need alliteration. Okay. Uh, I hated every last one of those names. Uh, none of them sounded good. Uh, Eagles is the most normal sounding. It is pretty basic. You could do worse than pretty basic. Elkhounds, Evergolds, Evergreens are all disgusting names. 
and you know, I bet I could come up with a better name for this team off the top of my head within the next 10 seconds, just by looking around the room I'm in right now. Uh, how about the Edmonton um, yarn balls? There's a ball of yarn right here it. on the desk. The Edmonton Wonderful. yarn balls. Like it? Than whatever the hell. Ever, at least I know what it is. I'm like, never gold. <laughs> um, or an elk hound. Huh? I don't know what an elk hound is. Yeah, um, gross too. Yeah, okay. You know, I'll give you my take on it. I like I like Edmonton Elements. I think it's pretty spicy. Uh, I think it's underrated. And that's what I voted that's for. All right. Yeah. I think Eagles is just so bland and overdone. Like, do we have an Eagles in, like, basically every sports team? No. But, uh, you know, it's like it's – there's already a Philly Eagles. There's no Philly Elements or anybody Elements. So, uh, I think Eclipse well, is pretty spicy too. Yeah. You know, I think an underrated aspect of alliteration is sometimes you can go past the first letter. So I'm trying to think of anything that all starts with ED, like the Edmonton education. How do you think about what do you think about that? Um, I think that's pretty terrible. Ah, you know what? <laughs> the Edmonton we're, gonna, we're gonna educate you on how to play football. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I, you know, really anything that you come up with is better than Evergold. So you know. It can't yeah. be that bad, right? So, uh, yeah. What what else is there? Ed words. Um, uh, educators, the Edmonton, Edmonton Edwards. Uh, I'm gonna Google this words starting with ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Edmonton hmm. early dismissals. <laughs> the Edmonton editors. Uh, <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> that sounds nice. The Edmonton edges. Um. Man. Yeah, I do like the, the longest word that starts with the longest word that starts with ed is educationalists. So if Let's you really want to, yeah, the Edmonton okay. educationalists, right. perfect, very good. Okay, all right, all right, okay. okay so, uh, okay. yep, you got a quiz. I've got a quiz, uh, because all right, today's Valentine's Day, uh, but as we both know, romantic love is far from the only kind of love that we can celebrate on Valentine's Day. We can also celebrate brotherly love. Uh, and as you know, okay. since there's so much nepotism in the NHL, uh, there are many sets of brothers that play in the National Hockey League. So today we'll be celebrating the love between these brothers. Here's how it's going to work. Uh, I've got 20 uh, pairs of brothers that currently play in the NHL. And I am going to, I, I paired them up. I paired one pair of brothers with another pair of brothers. And I'm going to tell you them and you have to tell me which pair has more collective all-time career NHL points as of yesterday. As of yesterday. Okay. Career points, sorry? Career points, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so first, uh, so I've got 10 sets, uh, well, 10 questions. So first, we'll, I guess we'll set the threshold at seven. Seems to be pretty good. Okay, seven. Wait, so these are all active brothers? Yeah, these are all active, active brothers. Okay, yeah, they're all so... active. So the, um, the Miko Koivu thing is not is not happening. I'm not seeing Miko Koivu in this. Uh, yeah, Ko- in no this Koivu on okay. this list. Um, yeah, both of those brothers retired. are actually retired now. Uh, Miko yep. retired. Um, but All anyway, right. let's do it. We start with uh, Jordan. Wait, 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 and Mar- wait, 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 wait. Um, threshold seven. Did we set one? Seven. Okay. Yeah, I thought I just said seven. Oh, sorry. I uh, I zoned out a bit. Okay. Oh, seven it is. All right. So. We got Jordan and Mark Stahl, not Eric, just Jordan and Mark, versus Jamie and Jordy Ben. Which brother pair has more career points? Ooh, okay. So 
Jordy has a negligible amount of points. Jamie won literally the Art Ross at one point. Um, so is it? Did you say Jordan and Mark? Yeah, Jordan and Mark Stahl. Hmm. Okay. Uh, man, I'm gonna take the one guy. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Benz. I'm taking the Benz on this one. The Benz have 814 combined points. The stalls, those two stalls, have 740. So, congratulations, yeah. you got the first question right. Uh huh. All right. Yeah. Question two. We've got Adam and Jesper Boquist versus Hayden and Kale Flurry. Oh man! So you took like <laughs> four real young dudes. Uh, Hayden Flurry. How much has he even played in the NHL? Mm-hmm. Has he played much? Like he was drafted a while ago. Uh, and uh, you have the two the the, the, the bulk of have been drafted in the last like three years. So I'm gonna say the Flurry brothers. Adams got 16 points. Jesper Boquist has four for a total of 20. Kale Flurry has one point plus Hayden Flurry's 23. So you are Ooh. correct. Oh Hayden God. by himself okay. actually beat the Boquists. Uh, that one point from Kale Flurry was unnecessary. All right. All right. So okay. we're two for two. Let's keep we're it going good. with question number we're three. Good. You've got yeah. Andre and Evgeny Svechnikov versus Quinn and Jack Hughes. Ooh. Yeah, off the top of my head, I'm leaning the Svechnikovs. It's just because, uh, you know, Hughes has had a great season so far, but it's only been like 10 games and it was nothing last year. And Hughes is a defenseman. So I'm going to say the Svechnikovs. I, th- I think Andre takes it without even needing again. That's not even such a hot uh, take. Uh, you are absolutely correct. Andre Svechnikov has 109 points plus Evgeny's four for a total of 113. And the Hughes brothers combined have 102. So you are three for three right now on fire. Oh, crazy. Are, are you going to get a hundred percent? Have we ever gotten a hundred percent on a quiz like this? I think maybe I've done oh. done that once, but anyway, maybe Let's I think nine out of 10. Is All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Question four, Mark and Michael stone versus Braden and Luke Shen. Ooh, that one's tough. That one's tough because, okay. Michael stone, like, ah, uh, like these ones are weird because they've been around. Like the the easier ones are the younger ones, right? Like you just gave me a couple of easy ones because they're just there's not much to take into account. Uh, meanwhile, like, oh, who are the the who are the two Shens again? Braden and Luke. Braden and Luke. Okay, okay. So ah man, like I think I think it's another one where it's like I'm combining them. I'm combining like I'm I'm just taking like Mark Stone's numbers and I'm trying to. Put pit them against the two other brothers, uh, but that's the thing they've been they've been here for so long. Uh, Luke Shen's like twenty six, I think. I'm gonna take thirty, I think. But... Is he thirty? Oh my god. Okay, yeah. In that case, I'm taking the Shen's. I'm taking the Shen's. Yeah, I'm taking the Shen's. Oh well, maybe I shouldn't have helped you out with that hint. But yeah, Luke Shen's thirty one yeah. years old. Uh, he was drafted Oops. in two thousand eight. Um, okay. and mm-hmm. Shen's uh, five ninety two. To the Stones, five twenty-four. Oh. Uh, Braden yeah. Shen actually has more career points than Mark Stone, and Luke Shen has more career points than Michael Stone. So, one of those situations. Right. So you are right. four for four. Way to go! Let's keep this rolling. We have Schmaltz's Nick and Jordan versus the Joneses 
Seth and Caleb. I'm taking the Schmaltes because they're forwards. Take the Schmaltes. Uh, unfortunately, you are incorrect. Oh, uh, Jordan, not only is Jordan Schmaltz not a forward, uh, oh. he only has five career points. Nick Schmaltz has 161 for a total of 166. Seth Jones has 265 career points, plus 16 for Caleb Jones. So Jones win that one by over 100. It's terrible. Okay, next up. All right, you're four for five. Not bad at all. Next up, we have the Subans, PK and Malcolm, versus the Stroms, Ryan and Dylan. <laughs> so the the joke here is, of course, Malcolm Subban probably has one point, if that. Um, okay, the Stroms have not been here long. PK has been here long. Um, like, it really comes down to, like, combined seasons, right? Uh, and Dylan's not here. Dylan hasn't been here long. And Ryan's been here longer. So, but I don't think long enough. I'm going to say P.K. Subban beats Ryan and uh, Dylan Strom. P.K. Subban's got 429 career points plus zero yeah. from Malcolm Subban equals 429. And Ryan Strom's 260 points plus Dylan Strom's 114 wow. equals 374. So you are correct. Very nice. Five or six. Very nice. Wow. And now we move on to Matthew and Brady Kachuk versus Riley and Brendan Smith. Okay. Okay. That's, man, that's another tough one. Because one set of brothers is better, but. The other set of brothers is like way older. I'm gonna take the older called the, the older brothers. I'm gonna take the Smiths. Congratulations, Riley Smith 359 plus Brennan Smith 101 equals 460. And the Kachuk's total combined is just 342. So you are okay. doing a very good job in this quiz so far. You're six for seven. And so, best if get, done. so if you get this one, then you are the winner. Of the quiz, we have the Nylanders. We have the Nylanders, okay. William and Alex versus the Tanevs, Chris and Brandon. That one's weird. Like I tend to take the experience. I think. I think I'm gonna take the experience again because well, who's William Nylanders' brother's name again? Is it Alex? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm taking the Tanevs. I'm pretty. Ta- I'm taking the Tanevs pretty comfortably too. The Tanevs have 121 plus 81, which equals 202. Oh, William Nylander has 233 plus Alex oh. 32 equals 265. No. So, not correct. Jeez. Uh, okay. All right. Nylander's been a, been a workhorse. All right. Okay. Here's another one. We have the Richies, uh, Nick and Brett, plus, oh, sorry, not plus, versus the Lindgrens, Ryan and Charlie. <laughs> Okay. Okay, so clearly Charlie Lindgren is a goalie. I'm gonna take Oh, is this a trick though? Maybe it's a trick that like the the Lindgren, Ryan Lindgren has more points than I think he does. Uh and he somehow but like like the last one was so much easier because Subban's like clearly a dude. Ryan Lindgren's been like pretty unknown. Hmm. I've still got like a comfy margin though, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my gun on this one. I'm gonna say uh 
not the one with a goalie. The Richies. Yep, correct. Uh, you win the quiz. This was actually the widest Ooh. margin of any uh, any of the matchups. This was the one I put together the last minute. I was like, I oh, I only have nine. I need a tenth one. And these were just the last two left. Uh, so we have Nick Ritchie plus Brett Ritchie equals 181 combined points. Ryan Lindgren has 17. Charlie Lindgren has zero. So oh, 181 okay. to 17, the Richies beat the Lindgrens. Uh, congratulations. We have Thank one you. more question uh, to see if you can go eight for 10. You have the Felinos, Nick and Marcus. Did I make two mistakes? Did I make two mistakes? What was my uh, second one? Yeah. Oh, uh, the Nylanders. The Nylanders, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Tanev, Nylander, right. and Jones Schmaltz are the ones you messed up. Uh, so we have the Felinos, right. Nick and Marcus, versus the Van Reemsdykes, James and Trevor. Ooh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the Felinos on this one. Correct. The Felinos have combined 660, and the Van Reemsdykes, 569. So... Way to go. Eight for ten. You passed the Valentine's Day brotherly love quiz with shining colors, flying colors as well. And they're also shiny, just like the Golden Knights helmets. Uh, so next week, uh, we'll be doing Guess Who once again. We don't have a team picked, but I'm going to win uh, because we actually we did we did find actually uh, the the score in our matchup. I'm two, two and four. Uh, is that what? It, oh no, no. So two, four, and four. Sorry, I've won twice, lost four times, and tied four times. Um, in our ten matches since May thirty first, twenty twenty, and my comeback begins next week. Yeah, that's not happening, first of all. But uh, yeah, hopefully you'll put up a good fight. I doubt it, but you know, there's always a Sunday, any given Sunday, so they as they say. Okay, so uh, I think that's it for us today. Uh, thank you very much for listening. As always, you can. Uh, hit that subscribe button on all these podcast platforms that we're on. And, you know, hit us up on Twitter where our DMs are open. You know, give us your questions, commentary, DMs analysis, open? whatever you want. Uh, and, yeah, the Twitter handles are in the uh, description. And, uh, yeah, as always, thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.